Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 40, She's the Boss. Today I interview Matt Slick from the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry on the topic of women pastors and elders. Interestingly, and by complete coincidence, the upcoming episode of the Unbelievable Radio program with Justin Brierley will be on virtually the same topic, between a representative of womeninthechurch.org, otherwise known as WATCH, and someone with a more conservative position on women in positions of authority within the church. I checked that website out and, you know, it seemed pretty lame, no real exegetical treatment of the important text, so I don't expect much, but still I'll be tuning in to the podcast anyway after it airs to see how it compares to my interview today. And maybe I'll comment on that next week and I'd like to know what your thoughts are as well on on how it compares to my show. Speaking of next week, Lord willing, I've got plans to have Michael Burgos back on to do a sort of post-mortem discussing how we think the oneness debate went from a few weeks back. We'll be playing clips and commenting on them, and so hopefully we can clear up anything that maybe requires a little bit of follow-up. Also, my friend Dee Dee Warren, host of the Preterist Podcast, is letting me include my last episode on the phrase This Generation in her feed. So I've gone ahead and sent her the MP3 with the content of that episode wrapped in her intro and outro music and all that kind of stuff. So if for whatever reason you want to listen again, and if you don't already listen to Dee Dee's show, uh, why don't you subscribe and listen there? You can do that by searching for the Preterist Podcast in iTunes or the Zoom Marketplace, or by going to www.preteristpodcast.com. Uh, and pretty soon I'll be doing another installment in her Kicking Some Left Behind series, so if you like subjecting yourself to horrible writing and horrible voice acting and horrible eschatology, uh, stay tuned to her show for that. Um, oh, also I'm, I'm working on getting another physicalist to let me interview him on my show. Uh, Dr. Glenn Peoples and Nancy Murphy both recommended I contact Joel Green over at Fuller Theological Seminary to discuss the issues which I think are still the most difficult for physicalism, which have to do with the nature of Christ. If you're interested in the dualism-physicalism debate, stay tuned. As Joel Green has said, he'd love to discuss those issues. We're just trying to narrow down which exact issues fall under his areas of expertise. And sometime in the not-too-distant future, I'll also be having guests on to discuss the Restorationist movement, like the Churches of Christ, and to discuss IHOP, the International House of Prayer. So looks like there should be some interesting episodes coming up, and I hope you'll join me for them, uh, for those. Uh, well, with that, all that with all that out of the way, here's the next promo in my rotation for Dr. R.C. Sproul's Renewing Your Mind. Stay tuned. Renewing Your Mind with Dr. R.C. Sproul is next. In our Quorum Deo thought for today, let me say to you, dear friends, that you may not want Christ. You may not want to be bothered with religious things. But dear friend, you need Christ. You know you're not perfect. You know that you're not holy. And you know that God is holy. And the biggest problem you will ever face in your existence is how to reconcile that problem. And what Christianity is all about is that righteousness has been achieved by somebody else for me and for all who put their faith 
in Him. God provides what you need. I say it every time I play his promo. Dr. Sproul is one of my favorites, and whether you were reformed or not, I think you'll find his teaching challenging and educational, his approach warm and inviting. And I can re recommend few better shows than his. Check it out by going to www.ligonier.org, where you can subscribe for free. That's L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R.org. I think as Christians, we too often neglect the renewing of our mind that Paul writes about in Romans. Um, so I think Dr. Sproul's podcast will help you to do just that. And with that, let's move into today's interview. I'm joined today by my guest, Matt Slick, founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, otherwise known as CARM, and host of Faith and Reason Radio. And today we're going to discuss whether or not it's appropriate for women to be pastors and elders. Thanks so much for joining me today, Matt. Hey, no problem at all. Now, some of my listeners probably don't listen to your radio show, so let me pose to you the question that might be floating around in their minds. Certainly Slick can't be your real last name, can it? <laughs> well, actually, it is. Um, it comes from the German Schlichting. And about in the 1920s or 30s, my great, my grandfather, somebody like that, they just started calling him Slick instead of Schlichtine. And then when my dad's mom, uh, signed a birth certificate about my dad, just wrote Slick. <laughs> and that's how we got our name, Slick. Well, there you go, listeners. It's, it's really Matt Slick. Don't, uh, he's, it's not a radio name. That's right. Well, so one of the things I enjoy most about interviewing guests on my show is hearing about their testimony, how it is that they became believers. Would you mind beginning by sharing yours? Well, it's kind of a, I mean, I can answer it. It's uh, it's really not an easy one to answer because it's uh, on the unusual side. I don't think, have you ever heard my testimony, Chris? I don't think I have. I'll give you the short version. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I was just at a church. I went to a church because some friends in high school um, were going. They were Christians, and they wanted me to check it out. And I'm an agnostic at the time. And uh, we watched this film about Jesus, and after the film, the pastor said, who wouldn't mind knowing more about Jesus? And I raised my hand, along with about ten other suckers who raised our hands, and and he said, good, come up forward. And, you know, what? And uh, so each person you know, started walking up forward, and somebody else in the congregation met us, and this big man with a humongous Bible and lots of gold around the edges and ribbons hanging out, it, you know, he sits with me, or actually, you know, we had to kneel in front of the counter. I'm like, what the heck is going on here, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was being tricked into becoming a Christian, receiving Christ. And, well, I'm on my knees, and, um, you know, and I'm like, I could, I could bolt. I, I look at the exit sign. I could get out of here pretty quickly. Anyway, the guy asked me, you know, after talking for a while, he says, so do you want to receive Christ as your Savior? And I, I might as well give it a try. This is for real. I might as well give it a try, and I figure if I'm going to do this, I better be sincere. Because if God's real, I won't lose. If he's, if, I mean, you know, I give it a go. Sure. But I just, you know, I started praying sincerely. I mean, you know, I prayed and received Christ as my Savior, and all I can tell you is, um, best I could describe it is, uh, the Holy Spirit Himself came 
and moved on me with such powerful conviction that all I could do was weep from my soul. My head dropped, and uh, the, the crying was one of the most intense things I've ever experienced in my life. And then, and then, you guys want to believe me, but this is the story. Um, I was aware that Jesus was next to me. Couldn't see him or touch him, but it was him. I don't know how I knew. I don't know why. I don't know anything. It was just him. I, as I recall it, I'm telling you, it, it was him. I was aware of his presence and his holiness and his attention. And I was fearful, as, as yet, yet also as confident, um, hopeful, uh, all of it. Mm. And then uh, let's just say that um, through the tears of the weeping, the abject shame of my own sin, the conviction of the horror of what I really was before a perfectly holy being, um, he, let's just say, came into me, you know, into my life, into my heart, you could say. And I physically felt the sensation of sin leaving me. Mm. And um, I was changed. And um, that's a short version, let's say. And I believe God gave that to me because of uh, 30 years, 31 years of apologetics, of reading cult material, false theologies, false everything. There's times when you wonder what is the truth and would reflect back on those those moments and realize that Jesus is indeed real. Mm. And um, it would hold me through so much, you know, uh, because what I do is so difficult. Yeah, it is. I'm past that difficult stage, but you know, now I just, you know, but that's what happened. Yeah. You asked. <laughs> well, no, it's a, it's a pretty powerful experience. And, you know, you, you mentioned apologetics, and that kind of leads into my next question. Because mm -hmm. not long after I became a believer, which was something like nine years ago, I discovered your ministry, and I frequented it since. Um, mm -hmm. Toward the end of the interview, I'm going to ask you to tell us where we can go to find your website. But for now, can you tell us a story behind CARM, how it got started, what's its mission, that kind of stuff? Sure. Um what happened was, uh, back in 1995, you know, let's put it, I, I was always doing apologetics, and uh, back in 1980, a friend of mine uh, at a Bible study read me a quote where Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, boasted that he did even more than Jesus to keep a church together. Right. And, uh, I mean, he was really arrogantly boastful about it. And I quoted it to Mormon missionaries hundreds and hundreds of times. And... Um, so, you know, I've always had this desire to, to study and to, to do all that. And by, by 91, I had graduated from seminary and wanted to go into the ministry. And I was a senior pastor at a church for a while and moved on. And, uh, let's just say that, um, I remember being at, uh, at, in San Diego in our apartment, my wife and I, and she asked me what the internet was. I said, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know what the internet is. It's, you know, so I, you know. And I found, oh, that's what it is, watching the news the next few weeks. Oh, that's weird. That sounds interesting. I'm going to see if I can get involved with it. So I learned how to get a dial-up, you know, on the phone. Dee -dee 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 yeah. Those things. And I had to call the, I still remember this. How do, how do we get a browser? They had to walk me through the process of getting this old ancient browser. And, uh, so I started cruising on the internet and I saw all this stuff out there. I'm like, man, this is, this is no good. Yeah. Christians are saying things, they don't know what they're talking about, the Mormons are, are on the site, you know. I mean, I could do better than that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, ah, how, how do you write a web page? You know, I gotta answer some of these things. So, 
that's how it got started. And, and um, as I learned, taught myself, and the first versions of CARM, you can go to archive.org, the first versions are, well, let's just say pretty hideous. <laughs> and uh, hideous is a complimentary word for it. That's mm. how bad they were. But I didn't know what I was doing. And um, But I still remember this. I still remember putting up articles, and I remember putting a counter on the page and uh, back in, I started in October of 95. I remember, ah, I talked to my wife, guess what? I got 72 page views. I learned what the word <laughs> page view means. The site was accessed you know, by somebody. A page came up. 72 in a whole day. I'm like moonwalking. Woohoo! 72 <laughs> people have, or, you know, people come, and 72 times my, this, this site's been, been accessed. I'm like, yeah, you know, stick the chest out and walk like a chicken and everything. It was great. <laughs> And uh, last week, CARM averaged 42,000 page views. So it's grown a little bit. Yeah, you've, you've come a long way. And in fact, uh, you've moved from not just the Internet, but into uh, radio as well. You know, one of the right. shows that I regularly promote here on my podcast is Faith and Reason, your radio show. What, what's that all about? What, how, what, did you do, um, what do you do on the air? And, and why might some of those listening to this interview enjoy tuning in to Faith and Reason? Well, what I do is correct everybody else who's wrong. If you don't believe like me, you're just, you don't have it together. Right. I mean, that's what, that's what that is. Uh, no, no, it's just uh, about five and a half years ago, um, I, some friends of mine were saying, look, you got to try radio, man. You got the voice for it. That's what they tell me. And, um, you got, you got the face these, for it, you know, too. What? <laughs> I said you got the face for it too. <laughs> yeah, I got the face for radio. But hey, like we said before the show started, I got a good looking wife. It makes up for it. Yep. But her judgment man's really bad. That's her only problem. So, you know, I called around these radio stations and, and told them what I'd like to do, get on the air and, and you know, uh, answer difficult questions and say some tough stuff like Catholicism is not Christian. Mormonism is not Christian. Women shouldn't be pastors and elders. Uh, the church needs to understand what the truth of God's word really says. Positive confession is wrong, you know, things like this. And um, this really cool family who owned this local radio station said and what's the problem with all that i'm like whoa <laughs> so uh we started and um you know uh five and a half years ago and i'm on five days a week for an hour each night and i really enjoy doing it it's a lot of fun going in there and people call up from all over the world actually yeah uh, and uh, we get callers coming in it's fun i like yeah. it. answering questions teaching theology Absolutely, yeah, and, it, and it's fun. You know, I've called in a few times. It's been fun for me as well, even though we've had some friendly disagreements. But, you know, today what we're going to talk about is an area in which I think we agree. When I asked you to let me interview you, I asked you what topics you're passionate about lately, and you responded pretty strongly with the issue of women as pastors and elders, like you just mentioned. We're right. gonna We're going to define and defend the biblical position in a moment and respond to some of the common challenges to it. But first, what's got you sort of hot under the collar about this issue lately? Why, why is it that you're so passionate about it? Well, I have a I have a concern for the Christian Church because the Christian Church largely doesn't know uh, really much of anything. I've been to seminars where I've taught. I do a lot of teaching, and um, for example, this this will represent it. Let's just say that there's a hundred people at a seminar I'm teaching, so we can do percentages. One hundred people. This is what I've seen over decades of teaching. I'll, uh, I'll talk to them. I, you know, I mean, I'm going to teach apologetics, theology, on the cults, whatever. It's all the same basic thing. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll say, I want to see your hands. Show me your hands. And for you listeners out there, you can ask the same, answer the same questions if you'd like. 
And I'll say, great, okay, um, how many in here believe there's only one God in all existence? Okay, 100 hands go up, hmm. right? They're Christians, so they're all Christians, okay, 100%. Great, how many believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? And, okay, all the hands go up again. See, how many could defend what the Trinity is? How many can define it to me right now if I were to ask you what it is? About half the hands go up. Hmm. And I call on somebody. And I tell them, I'm going to call on you, and I do. And that intimidates people. And so, you know, usually they won't define it properly, but I understand what they're doing. They're not used to, you know, being caught in a spot and define what the Trinity is, that there's one, uh, one God who exists in three eternal, co-powerful, distinct persons, and uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a short version. And, uh, you know, and so I'll ask them, okay, how many believe that Jesus Christ is God in flesh? And their hands go up, and I say, now, if you raise your hands in the next question, I'm going to call on you. How many can give me verses in the Bible for that, that Jesus is God in flesh? And about ten hands will go up. Mm. That's not bad, okay. And I'll call and I'll ask what verses. And usually about half of them get them pretty good. Okay, is Jesus a man right now? How many say yes? Hold your hand up. Now they're, they're confused. <laughs> they don't know what the answer is. Yeah. And so about a quarter, you know, well, actually about a half. Raise your hands. How many say he's not a man? And, you know, not quite a half. And I'll say, how many just don't know? And the hands will go up. And I'll say, how many are afraid to raise their hands? And, hands <laughs> and um, you know, and, and it's just kind of a thing. And incidentally, Jesus Christ is a man right now. And I can explain why that's so important if you're interested later. But, you know, it's just that Christians just don't know. I'll even ask this question. I'll say, how many believe we are saved by grace? Okay, and they'll go on and they'll raise their everybody's hands go up. How many believe we're, you know, we're, that God justifies us by faith? Great, you know, hands go up. How many know what justification is? Now, only, you know, 15, 20 hands go up. Hmm. And justification is the legal declaration by God upon the sinner, where he declares the sinner righteous, reckoning the righteousness of Christ to the Christian's account. Philippians 3, 9, 1 Peter 2, 24. Um, things like that. And uh, it's just, you know, it, it's disturbing. Yeah. They don't know. So I have a passion of seeing this and knowing this. I have a passion for equipping the Christians so they know what the truth is, because most Christians don't know enough of what the truth of God's Word really is. They're too busy watching buttheads, excuse me if I can say that, like <laughs> Joel Osteen yeah. on the radio, who says, you know, your best life now. I don't want my best life now, because if I get my best life now, that means tomorrow it's not as good as it was today. Right. It's going to get worse from here. I want it to be getting better and better as I get closer to the Lord. We've got heretics on TV, Christian heretics, uh, teaching so much just junk on, on TV. TBN, I call, you know, Jan and Paul Krauss, I call him Squeaky in the Beak. <laughs> she, she's always crying, and he's got a big nose, Squeaky mm. in the Beak. And they're always teaching this stuff that's heretical. You know, we can be a little gods, and the Christian church is supporting them. It's just a problem. It's constantly a problem that the Christian church does not know what's going on. Yeah. We believe in the lie, and we're fighting against each other all the time, and we're weakened. So, this is why all this stuff is so important that we know the basics and the particulars of the Christian faith, because we're told to, we're supposed to, and Christians need to know. Yeah. So it's not so much necessarily this issue specifically, but rather the broader concern it represents that, that Christians mm -hmm. in America just don't have a grasp of basic biblical doctrine. Right. Yeah. And what they're doing, what they're doing is a large part of American culture is letting it come into the church and dictate what is morally right and wrong. Now, the Bible says, for example, that women are not to teach and exercise authority over men, for Adam was created first. That's 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. It's not a cultural thing. 
And the reason that it's there is because of the Adamic created order where God created Adam um, first and sin entered the world through Adam, even though it was Eve who sinned first. Mm-hmm. Sin entered the world through Adam, Romans 5.12. The reason that's important is because he is the representative head. It's called federal headship. And Paul says in the next chapter of First Timothy, he says in First Timothy 3.15, that he's giving instruction on how we are to behave and conduct ourselves in the household of God. He is specifically giving us instructions on what to do in the church context. Mm. And the men are the ones who are supposed to be in these positions of leadership and are supposed to be leading. It's not for women to do this. It doesn't mean women can't do other things. It doesn't mean they're inferior. It just means they're not to do it because they're not to do it. That's it. Mm. And so when women are starting to do this, two reasons are there. Well, actually three. One, they're listening to the, the uh, issues of the world. Two, they're usurping a position they're not supposed to be doing. And three, it's because men are not doing their jobs in the church, standing strong and true to the Word of God, and bearing their chest against the doctrinal heresies or hurricanes that are coming against the church, and saying, no, that's not true, no, that's not right, and then standing up for righteousness. Men in the Christian church aren't doing their jobs. This is just one of the reasons all this is so important. Sure. Yeah, well, you you mentioned that, that passage in First Timothy, and it, so it sounds to me like, uh, based on the, the, the quote that you read, that what we're saying is that it really boils down to an issue of authority. It's, it's that women shouldn't be in a position of authority in a church. So are we saying that women shouldn't evangelize or shouldn't pray in public or shouldn't exercise spiritual gifts, anything like that? Not at all. They should be evangelists. They can certainly get out there and do everything except be pastors and elders in the church because, by definition, those are positions of authority. The word pastor is only used in... Uh, Ephesians 4.11, and it's the way the Greek is, is constructed, it says, some people call it the fivefold ministry, but it says um, that God gave some as uh, apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. And actually, it says this. It says, the prophets, the uh, apostles, the evangelists, and the pastor and teachers. And so there's the, the, the. And then the last two, pastors and teachers, only has one word, the, in the Greek that covers both of them. That one definite article, the, controls both. And what that implies is that both of those are a single office. Hmm. When we get to First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Timothy 5.17, it says that we're to give double honor to the elder, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Yeah. We see that again like that. Paul says he does not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man, but to, to teach or exercise authority, but to remain silent, and I'll explain that word, because Adam was created first. Now, the words, there's two words for, in Greek for silent. There's a Greek word, sagao, which means absolutely don't say a word, don't utter anything. You are dead silent. Not, there's nothing coming out of you. There's another word called hesukia, and that's the word that's used there. A woman's not to teach or exercise authority, but to remain silent, but to remain hesukia. That word does not mean the same thing as the other word means, where there's no speech involved, nothing, no sounds. It just means keep it down. Hmm. So it's like saying, just, just, you can be quiet, and you may need to be even quieter later. 
And so that kind of thing is just keeping it down. You can still talk in the church. You can still do stuff. So it's not saying there's no communication going on. Hmm. And Paul ties us in with the created order. Because Adam was created first, this is called primogeniture. Primogeniture. The firstborn male has certain rights in the family. Uh, and that's just how it is. Yeah. Well, Adam was the firstborn male, and he has certain rights. And you know, when, I, when I do marriage counseling, I will teach this theology. Uh, first, I start with the doctrine of the Trinity and the eternal inter, uh, intercommunion of the intertrinitarian relationship, how it reflects in the communion supper when we take it. I talk about the issue of the headship, the federal headship of Christ, how he represented us on the cross, and how Adam represented us in the garden, federal headship, the male represents the descendants. I talk about these things. I talk about the authority that is in the person of the male. Mm. I'm married, a wife, and I am the authority in the house, spiritually. I'm, the, I'm the, in the authority. Whether I like it or not is irrelevant. Whether my wife likes it or not is irrelevant. That's how God has set it up. Yeah. Does, doesn't mean she's inferior in any way. I mean, I lean on her a lot of different ways. She's a great woman, except for her judgment and taste in men. <laughs> right. Her dad, she's, she's pretty wise. And so, you know, I use her a great deal in so many areas. But see, I tell people, this is what the Bible teaches. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. What matters is that you understand that this is a responsibility that God himself has designed for us. Yeah. And we are to step into the position that God has ordained for us and behave in a manner consistent with that. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of inferiority, you know, a lot of people would say that uh, simply by virtue of the fact that we're saying that men are to fill positions of authority, that somehow that implies that we think we're superior to women. But uh, a friend of mine has a really good analogy. I'm, I'm curious to know what you think of it. He said, if you want to haul a ton of bricks from, you know, point A to point B, you could certainly choose between either a, um, you know, a little commuter car or a dump truck. And you could certainly haul that ton of bricks with a commuter car, but the better way to do it, the, 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 the one that's more designed for that purpose is the dump truck. Does that mean that the dump truck is superior to the commuter car? No, it just means that it's designed to fill a certain role that the commuter car isn't. Right. So, I mean, do, do you kind of think that that's a pretty good analogy for what we're talking about here? Yeah, it's sufficient. You know, it, it's illustrating the idea that there's a difference in intent and design. Yeah. And that is the case. Um, a lot of people don't like it because, well, and I'll tell you why. It's because of the, uh, the cultural pressure of secularism seeping into the church. And they want what's called egalitarianism instead of complementarianism. Egalitarianism is that view that all people are equal. And they'll quote, for example, Galatians 3.27, for there's neither male nor female in Christ. And they'll say, see, that's how come women can be pastors and elders. And I'll say, do you, know what you, do you even know what you're talking about? Do you know what the context of that is? In Christ is a term of being saved. In Christ, in salvation, there is neither male nor female. Right. has nothing to do with the idea of pastoral authority. Yeah. So what people will generally do is rip verses out of their context, misapply them, and then create their own theological perspective. Yeah. And they, they will do that. Christians do it all the time. In fact, here, I'll, I'll play a little game here. I'll do this. I mean, maybe some of your listeners, um, you know, I'll set them up. I'll say, hey, look, you know, for example, I'll say... Uh, You've been taught many things, 
over the years that you believe are true. And one I'd like to go generically to is the idea of pre-tribulation rapture. And I'll say, right. you know, two men in the field, Matthew 24, Luke 17, two men in the field, one taken, one's left, and that's the rapture. And people look at me and go, yeah, it's the rapture. <laughs> 99 times out of 100, yeah, it's the rapture. And I'll mm. say, you ever read the context on your own? They stare at me, of course not, they haven't. And I'll say, it has nothing to do with the rapture. That's nothing right. to do with the rapture at all. If anything, you know, you read the context, you'll find out that it's the wicked who are the ones who are taken. And at the end of Luke 17, they ask Jesus, where are they taken? And he says, well, the body is the vultures gather. Yeah. That's where these people are taken. They're the wicked. They're taken to a place of judgment. And if you were to go to Matthew 13, it's the parable of the, the wheat and the tares. You know, uh, the wheat are the Christians and the tares are the unbelievers. You would tear them both. Bo- tear up the uh, tares? He says, no. Jesus says, no. Don't do that lest you tear up the wheat also. Wait until the end of the age, and I will say to the reapers, which are the angels, first gather the tares and bundle them to be burned and gather the wheat into the barn. Jesus' own words are that the first ones gathered are not the believers. That's right. That's, this is what the scriptures actually say. I will show people this as quickly as I've done this to you. You know, I know you know this. And uh, people's jaws will drop. And I say, now look, here's the a, here's a thing. You have been going to church for years, right? Yes. <laughs> and in two minutes, I've just derailed from scripture something you've held dear. Why is it that you haven't figured this out? One, because you're not reading the word. Two, what is it with the pastor who's supposed to be teaching you the word who's missing this very easy point, which is right there in Scripture? What's going on in the Christian church? Is it that we're teaching agendas, or are we teaching truth of God's word? I'm not saying every pastor who believes that stuff is wrong and a bad guy, but it's just an example that the Christians really are not studying. And I'm not talking about my level, you know, seminary degree, Greek, and memorize hundreds of scriptures and all that stuff and get in a radio show. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, well, what does it say? Check, your, check what the pastor says. Check, just read. Yeah. And Christians aren't doing that. It's rare. Right. This is why I enjoy your conversation uh, when you call up on the radio show in order to be spanked and corrected. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding, folks. I know. Chris is a great guy. But uh, because you do your homework, yeah. you know, and we can have these disagreements. You're looking, you're quoting these verses, and it's fun. It's good. And, you know, so kudos to you for that, man. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's something that I try to – it's the reason I do this show. You know, I want to infect that kind of attitude, you know, into my, into my listeners. Um, you know, and by the way, speaking of the, the rapture issue, you're going to get a lot of uh, – you're preaching to the choir with me, as you know, and then a lot of my listeners are, are fellow preterists as well. But that's the topic of another show. What I want to do before we move on, though, is, is just make one – Wait, 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 wait. Sure. Hold on. You're not a full preterist, are you? I'm not a hyper-preterist. I hate the phrase full preterist. I'm not a hyper-preterist. I'm a, a you don't believe that You don't believe Jesus returned and the resurrection's already occurred? Correct. I believe that's in our future. Good. Otherwise, I'd have to do some serious theological spanking right now. I, but that's I agree. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, right. we'll have that discussion maybe on another episode. But one really important disclaimer I want to get out of the way, just because I think it's important that we at least address this before we keep moving forward with this topic. Would you agree that yes, men in the church have often mistreated their wives and treated yep. them as something other than equal, and that and that as godly men we should speak out against mistreatment and, and encourage gifted women to use their talents in the church in the right way. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Sometimes people will think that I'm a male chauvinist pig who wants to keep women down. And that's not the case at all. 
back in seminary, and I went to Westminster Theological Seminary, which is one of the most conservative seminaries in the world. And it was in San Diego that I went to. Very difficult school, incidentally. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, a lot of godly people there. So anyway, they had this week where they opened up all the classes to uh, the public. And that means anybody could just come in and, and sit through graduate-level schools. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, that graduate school was the fifth most difficult graduate school in the country at the time, academically, seriously. Mm. I mean, by the first week of the first first week of school, I had, uh, I think it was, what was it, 40 pages to write. I had um, I had all kinds of stuff I was supposed to be doing and and start translating Hebrew by Friday. Hmm. I mean, we started on Tuesday. It was just, it was insanely difficult. At any rate, they opened up the classes to, to, uh, to the public. And they also flew in a woman to teach on how women could be used in the church. That's what they were doing. And I thought, this is going to be awesome. Hmm. There's a woman that they've flown in, and she's going to have a special class on how women can be used in the church. And she, her position was, or not to be elders and pastors, the biblical position. Great. The place was packed. The room was packed. I was the only guy in the class. Yeah. And that bothered me a great deal, and it still does. Because I figured that the men who were there to be pastors, this would be something that would be super important. And I was the only guy in the class, and that upset me. Yeah. Because I think women are underutilized, underappreciated. I don't like the idea of, oh, that's a children's ministry. Hey, you women could go do that. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, that's nursery stuff. You women can take care of that. Or, oh, do you do the donuts and the cookies? I don't like that. I think it's a little condescending. Not to say that taking care of children isn't a great honor, but when it's you know, dismissed by too many people as a job for women, that bothers me. Yeah. I tell people, and I've been saying this more and more recently, more and more recently, I've been saying women deserve special honor as a gender because it's through a woman that the Messiah, the deliverer of our souls, came into the world. That's right. And we need to honor them properly. And when I say that, I think of my own wife, how much I need to improve in that area. Yeah. In fact, over the radio this past week, I said, uh, I think it was on Monday, I said, I said, you know, I'd like to, I said, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, get a study with just men, and there's a particular book I know that really kicks our rears, our men's rears, <laughs> as far as our being husbands goes, and sit with a bunch of men, no girls allowed, and go through this book and learn how to be better godly. You know, um, that's what we need as men. Sorry, hold on, Matt. Uh, go back and uh, you cut out for a second. You said to go over how to be a better godly... Godly husband. Husband, yeah. Yeah, because we need to do that as men. Whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not, is irrelevant. I need to be a man, a godly man. Yeah. And, you know, so... Anyway, all this is passionate for me because all of this is an issue of truth, of God's Word, of what it means to be a Christian. I take it seriously. I don't accomplish it all that well, but I take it seriously. Yeah.
Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I do too. And, and and one more question, or maybe a two-parter, before we get into the challenges. When I play devil's advocate, you mentioned this this uh, uh, woman who came to teach, and that you were the only man there. It sounds to me like you would say that what we're saying about women not serving in positions of authority doesn't mean that men can never learn from women in a church setting. Is that is that right? Well, you got to remember, this was not a church setting at the seminary. It was just a classroom setting. But uh, the uh, issue of authority, we have to understand what it's, the structure of authority is in the church. We have elders, bishops, and deacons, and that's uh, presbyteros, episkopos, and diakonos in Greek. And there are these things are defined in the pastoral epistles of Titus and Timothy, and those are called pastoral epistles. And Paul specifically declares that we're to behave in a certain manner in the church, and he describes the relationship between male and female in the authority position. Hmm. And he does that in the pastoral epistles. Now, it does not mean that women cannot be used. Junia, some think, was an apostle, a female apostle. But there are different kinds of apostles. People don't know that, but there is. And, you know, there were uh, women who apparently were in charge of their own homes, and churches were meeting there. There would be some sort of subjugation to women at that point. But in the in the context of the church, the official position of an elder, which is what a pastor is, a mm. pastor is by definition an elder, this position of eldership, when he, a man gets up in the pulpit to preach and to teach, in that pulpit, in the gathering of the church, there he is, that is, by definition, a position of authority. Right. That's just what it is by nature, the exposition and preaching of the Word of God to the people of God who are gathered to hear the Word of God. That's authority. <laughs> Sure. It's not a place for women to do that. Sorry, it's not. Can they be in a Sunday school class? No problem. Would I go to a church and go to a Sunday school class where a woman was teaching a class on something she'd learned out of the Bible? I wouldn't have a problem with that. Right. Now, there's a little bit of a gray area there. People say, well, maybe you're a little inconsistent. Well, that's what happens in gray areas sometimes. But I have no problem there. If we shoot to get up in the, in the pulpit and preach, okay, I'm either going to walk out or I'm going to directly confront her and the elders of the church about this issue afterwards. Yeah. You know, politely. Yeah. Um, that's what I would do. No, I understand. So, so you, you, you would, you would draw a distinction though, and, and I think I would as well, between, uh, preaching and teaching from the pulpit into a, you know, in, in the congregation versus teaching a class in Sunday school or, or during the middle of the week or something like that. In which case you would have no problem with woman teaching in that regard. Right. And as I long as that. No. Yeah. Well, a missionary comes back from some place, wants to teach about her stuff, and she quotes a few scriptures in the process. No problem. Yeah. Because the because in that in that in that role, they're not taking on a role of authority. It's just teaching. Right. It's just yeah. right because it's you know to exercise authority or teach is what Paul says, and that's why he's t- talking about this thing of teaching in that context is an authority role. We got to be careful. That's sorry, women. Not the position for the women. That's the way it is. Yeah, I understand. Well, one last question though, before we get into the challenges, um, what do you think? Since that, since that uh, passage that we've referred to a few times says that Paul doesn't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, would you be comfortable with women being in positions of authority over strictly women in the church? Maybe with the title women's pastor or something like that? No, 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 no. Do not call him pastor. Mm. Do not do that. But that's two different issues. And I'll tell you why that's a bad idea to call him pastor. But uh, can it be in a position of authority over women? Absolutely. The Bible tells us that's the case when it says let the women teach other women. Hmm. It tells them to do that. Teach them how to be godly wives, for example. Teach them how to, to you know, take care of their homes, for example. The Bible tells us that. But also don't forget Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 tells, talks about the woman who's good at business. 
who goes outside the home and does that. And so we're not, she's not just homebound, but at any rate, she, our primary responsibility, though, as a Christian woman, if she has children, is to you know, the Lord first, husband second, children third, house fourth. But at any rate. Mm. Okay. Um, as far as calling them a pastor, uh, no, they should not be called pastors. And the word pastor is used, like I said, only once in in uh, the Bible. It's referring to in the, the offices of the church. Right. So let's say there's a church where they don't allow women to be pastors and elders, but they call this one woman, let's just say, a pastor of women's ministry. They call her pastor so-and-so. Pastor Eunice. I'm going to just do that. <laughs> okay. And uh, so everybody called her Pastor Eunice, you know, Pastor Eunice. Now, people grow up in that church for 10 years, they move away, and they go to another church, and they're in some other neighborhood, and they hear, hey, Pastor Betty, down the church, down down the road, has a church. Hey, well, hey, we had a pastor at our church, yeah. a woman, we can have a pastor at that church, let's go. And this is why it's so dangerous. And people say, oh, they can tell the difference. Are you kidding? <laughs> We're talking about sheep. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. That's why we have pastors and elders teaching them the truth. And the elder is supposed to teach sound doctrine. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Refute error and teach sound doctrine. Oh, boy, I just slap the most elders upside the head. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's true. But, but so, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It, it, it's at least largely, but not necessarily only, an issue of um, clarity and, and making sure that we're not uh, leaving open the risk that some people might be confused about what it is that a pastor is. Right. Yeah. No, I, I I would agree. Well, let me let me put a, a different hat on now. I'm going to start playing the devil's advocate and and try to challenge you um, with uh, you know the position that critics of our position might hold. And in fact, I'm looking forward to the unbelievable program with Justin Brierley this weekend because they're going to have just this debate. Uh, I kind of wish it had come out first so that I could have even more you know challenges under my belt. But I'm going to do my best. And you know, we looked briefly already at Galatians 3:28. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor you know male nor female, and we can. Right, and we can see that that doesn't apply here. Now, what a, one of the things that a lot of people will point to in evidence as evidence that men should be pastors and elders and not women is, uh, for example, the phrase that, that an, elder, an elder must be a man of one wife. Mm-hmm. Now, one, one objection that I've heard is that this is merely a prohibition against polygamy. Paul's point isn't really about whether they can be men or women. Uh, in fact, biblical authors often use male language to refer to people in general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I guess the question is, um, do you think it's possible that when it, when elders are said that, when it's said that elders need to be a man of one wife and a man of this and that, it's not necessarily demanding that it be a man, but that it be, um, you know, uh, monogamous, for example. That's actually what it is dealing with. It doesn't say husband of one wife literally. What it really says in the Greek is a man of one woman. A man of one woman. And so the elder must be a man who holds to having one wife. Mm. So it doesn't say a woman who holds to having one man. Yeah. It doesn't say that. It says male. Now, in Greek, we can, we have nouns, uh, have gender, male, female, and, or masculine, feminine, and neuter. And the closest we really have in, in English is like actor and actress. Right. Waiter, waitress. We don't have a, all our words are neuter, you know, cup. It's neither male nor female, you know, things like that. Well, in Greek, the word presbuteros is the Omicron Sigma ending, which is the masculine ending it's a masculine when the in the pastoral epistles is talking about eldership it's always uses the masculine gender a man of one woman to be an elder or a bishop episcopos 
the uh, nominative singular or the nominative plural. You know, elders must be this, or bishops must be this, or whatever it is, and it's the masculine. When it's talking about the issue of a man of one woman, the elder must be a man of one woman. And so in that culture also, people don't realize that people were married very early. Mm. It's just, it was normative. Marriages were arranged. By the time you're 20, if you are married, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. And so you were married. That's just how it was. It was a natural understanding. You know, you've got to be a one-woman man. Okay? And it wasn't a one-man woman. It was never said of that of elders, but a man of one woman. Right. That's what's going on. Just talk about, believe me, think about this. Let's say a man's an elder. And people will say to me, oh, he's got to be married, right? What happens? I know what they're doing, you know. Well, what happens if his wife dies? I say, well, all of a sudden, that's right. His wife dies. He can't be an elder anymore. He's disqualified. That's not what's going on in the text. You know, mm. you know so yeah, that's all. That's, that, that's, that's, that's the answer to that one. And I thanks for so. correcting me on that. It was Galatians 3.28, not 3.27. I got so many verses memorized. <laughs> that's all right. And, and you know, just just uh, to, to point out, you know, our, our case isn't solely based on this male language anyway. You know, we've already looked at First Timothy 2, for example. But but here's another argument. In Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Peter adds that they would that they would prophesy, that is women. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. And then in 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says, one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So doesn't this permit women to teach men in a way that edifies, exhorts, and consoles them? Sure, what's wrong with that? Well, how come? What's that guy do with being elders in an authority position in the church by an office structure? Yeah, exactly. It's not talking about authority there. It's talking about what we've already acknowledged is perfectly legitimate, which is women teaching yep. in, a, in a non-authoritative context. That's right. What they're doing there is, commit, is committing what's a fallacy called the category mistake in, in debate and logic, saying, hey, see, look, there's a category over here, another category over there. Let's blend them and raise us the argument of both equally. That's not how it works. Right. We have different things, different things, different things. Elder office is separate from the other stuff we we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. Well, another argument that, you know, you've no doubt heard many times, I've heard it many times, is that Paul's instructions were given in a particular social historical context. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and Ephesus was known for its temple to Artemis, a uh, false Greek Roman goddess. And some have claimed that Paul was simply prohibiting the Ephesian church from having women in leadership because it might cause them to stumble or something like that. Others might claim that women were very poorly educated in Paul's time, and so the prohibition of women teaching was based on their lack of education. Is it possible that what Paul prohibited in certain congregations and at a certain time isn't necessarily something that has broader application today? Well, here's a problem with that. You see, when you say, is something possible? <laughs> well, is it possible? Well, I'm a technical person. My kids will say, Dad, I, you know, I'm in my 50s, but I have a young child. And back when I were, they were younger, Dad, is, if I jump high enough, can I touch the moon? I'd say, Yes. <laughs> Because the the question requires an affirmative answer. Because if you haven't touched the moon, you haven't jumped high enough. Right. If you jump, if I jump high enough, by definition, it means well, yes. Well, is it possible? Well, um, I suppose it could be possible. Okay. But what people do sometimes is that they try and hold on. I'm getting a little Skype thing there. Uh, they say, well, there's a possibility. Now we'll take the possibility and make it normative. Mm. And, well, no, it's not what's going on. You see, we just go with what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15. 
He says, he's writing to Timothy, he says, I'm telling you these things so you'll know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Hmm. He's saying, this is for the church. In the previous chapters where he says, he does not allow Omen to teach or exercise authority over men, but to remain silent, for it is Adam who was first created. I mean, it's just not a cultural thing. Sure, it's a created order thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And that, that, that fish is easy to spear. Yeah, so unless unless the created order has changed somehow, uh, you know, retro retroactively, <laughs> then it would seem to me that his teaching applies to all times and all cultures. Well, actually, that's a good segue to, to make a slight point about something. I've, I've been dealing with this issue now, and off and on now, for a few years, and there's a potential very serious heresy waiting in the, uh, the sideline, waiting to jump into the game here. Hmm. And it's this, because... Um, the egalitarian movement is becoming more smart, more better <clears throat> uh, about what they're what they're saying and what they're doing. And I saw something. I haven't seen them go this far yet. But what they're going to do is just, I'll say, look, a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over man. That's an authority issue. Sin and the world through Adam, not through Eve, because Adam had that authoritative representation headness. So and and that ties it to the created order. So in order to get rid of this created order thing, they get into the issue of why did sin enter the world through Adam and not through Eve? Here's the response. It's because Adam knew better when he sinned, but Eve didn't. She was tricked. That's why sin entered the world through him and not through her, because her sin was, well, a sincere mistake. Hmm. Now, there's a whole host of problems here. One is, you know, she accidentally disobeyed the entire <laughs> holiness of God's declaration. Hmm. That's okay, basically, compared to, hey, he knew better. And it it really has a problem with the issue of what the nature of sin is, another topic. But, you know, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Okay. So that's why, you see, it wasn't that Adam, this is the important point, it wasn't that Adam had the headship issue by the fact of his being male and the firstborn first created, in this case, with the primogeniture, it wasn't that he had the male authority representation nature, because he just knew better and he blew it. She didn't know better, and that's why sin entered through him and through, not through her, because his sin was worse. That's the issue. What they've done with this logic and this thinking is taken away the Adamic representation of federal headship. Hmm. Now, if they're going to do that with Adam, the first Adam... What are they going to do with the last Adam? Right. First Corinthians fifteen forty five. Jesus is called the last Adam, who represented us on the cross. He bore our sin in his body on the cross. First Peter two twenty four. If they are going to reject the first Adam's representative nature to us, why would they accept the last Adam's representative nature regarding us on the cross? Yeah, exactly. And you see how the potential here of denying the vicarious, authoritative, representing atoning work of Christ is now right there. This error has a serious potential of denying the very nature of the atoning work in order to justify their false teaching. Yeah. It's not yeah. serious it is. No, it is very serious, absolutely. Um, well, here's another argument that I had never heard before until recently. Um, 
Paul's prohibition of women in church leadership was in a day when scripture was still being written, and thus teaching and, authority, teaching and authority were done on an apostolic basis. But the canon having been closed, both men and women can teach and have authority in the church since they're teaching authoritatively from the God-breathed scripture, not apostolic authority. What do you make of an argument like that? That's stupid. <laughs> okay, well, why? Well, the Bible says that Paul is, is writing uh, on how to conduct yourself in the church. That's, that's universal. First mm-hmm. Timothy 3.15. So now that if the Bible's here, now what that means, I could get, get this. Now that we have what Paul wrote in completion, now what we can do is not believe what Paul wrote. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. It's it's just, it's really a, it's a lame argument. It really is. Yeah. I if think I were so. in a debate, go ahead. Or in a debate with somebody, I'd say to them, and they said that, I'd say, take your right hand, put it up on your face. <laughs> you know, I look to your left. Yeah. Now slap yourself upside the head for that one. Yeah. That's something we hear often on your show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love saying that. And it's funny. Um, well, and, you know, like I said, we could go back to the um, created order thing as well. The created order doesn't change simply because the canon's been closed. So that's what I would point to as well. Right. Um, now, what about the claim, and, and you've addressed this already once before, but just to repeat it in case somebody missed it. What about the claim that some make that Paul's instructions had to do with relationships between husbands and wives in the home rather than between men and women in the church? Right, that's often raised about First Timothy chapter 2, which, remember, Paul says, in the church. Hmm. Now, at the home, that's not necessarily the church, is it? See, so that wouldn't work. But let's just look at it this way. Let's say it's a man and a woman in the context of First Timothy chapter 2. He's dealing with marriage because Adam was a married man, so to speak, when God put him he and Eve together and became one flesh. Hmm. So they'll say, okay, it's, I do not allow a wife, a particular wife, to exercise authority over a partic- her particular husband, but to remain silent, okay? Mm. For Adam was first created. So in the in the marriage, she's not supposed to uh, be teaching him at all. That would be the idea. Right. Okay? So that would mean, then, that when she's a pastor and an elder of the church, and her husband comes in and she's teaching, she either has to leave or he has to leave. <laughs> right, exactly. Because she's going to be teaching him. Okay, and then she could teach him all, you know, say all kinds of stuff. And then here's the problem with this: so they get home, and he can't ask her what she said. Yeah, because they should be teaching him as a wife. You can't do that. How is he going to be a governing factor over her and his authority of of being the head of the house now? Yeah, but this whole thing, these. The egalitarians, they raise these arguments, and if you put flesh and blood on them and start thinking about them, you realize how utterly ridiculous some of their arguments really are. Yeah, that's true. You need to to stop listening to the wiles of the world and just start listening to what the Word of God says and believe it. That's a new concept. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes you don't even need to compare a position with Scripture. You can compare it for internal consistency and see it fall apart. Right. So, yeah. Well, now here's here's a longer one um, because I'm going to quote something that I read. It's an interesting interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14. Earlier in chapter 7, Paul says he's going to address the issues about which the Corinthians wrote to him. And here in chapter 14, in the King James Version anyway, after saying that women should be silent in the church, Paul seems to exclaim, what? With a, with a question mark. And based on that, here's how one critic of our position understands this passage. Here's what he writes. He says, the Corinthian church wrote a letter asking Paul questions. I believe the passage was actually quoting 
one of the false teachings going on in the Corinthian church. After this chauvinistic statement, Paul exclaims, what? Paul is almost beside himself when he reads back the statement from the letter written to him. The fact that Paul exclaims, what? Came the word of God out from you? Shows that the statement came from the Corinthian church, and they were claiming to exclude the women from speaking based on the law, which they claimed was the word of God. Of course, when you recognize that Paul did not teach the law, but grace you realize Paul would never use the law to prove anything, unquote. So since Paul would never use the law to justify a teaching, according to this critic anyway, um, isn't he actually refuting the Corinthians' claim that women shouldn't be in leadership rather than teaching it himself? What verse is that exactly? Uh, boy, I'm, I've got to open that up. I um, don't have my browser open because it can take Internet connection. I, oh. I'll, edit this, I'll edit this section out. Generally, no, it's okay. Generally speaking, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, they go to verse 34 and 35, or 36. And I'm using the NASB. I don't see the word what. Right. In there. Go to the, that's why I said King James. Go to the King James Version. It's in verse 36. Okay. Okay, well, I'll just. I use the one that Paul used. That's the NASB. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, was it for you that the Word of God first came and forth, or has it come to you only? And he begins well, with what? You know, and so some people are going to say that that's sort of a, uh, he's beside himself at the possibility that somebody could say that women should remain silent in the church. Or it could be that, what? It could be you first, women? What? Are you crazy? Hmm. It could be that too. See, this idea, we take a particular word and you find out what the antecedent is, what it is referring to before it. Uh, sometimes that can be a little bit subjective. And when people who are stretching, reaching, and bending and twisting, trying to make things fit their, their uh, preconceived ideas. They go to the scriptures. And if you listen carefully while they're talking about scripture, you can hear the ripping sounds of things being taken <laughs> out of context. But at any rate, um, it does happen. I've actually heard, hey, did you hear that? I remember doing that with some guys, Mormons once. They called me, they called me a verse. And I'd say, hey, did you hear that? They go, hear what? Nothing. <laughs> they'd, they'd be talking again, and they, I said, did you hear that? I hear what? No, nothing. The third time, you hear that? Hear what? Well, every time you quote a verse, I hear this ripping sound, like something being ripped out of context. And they didn't like that, but it was fun. Yeah. So um, that's what's happening a lot here. There's some debate on the authenticity of what these verses are. Are these an interpolation taken from other place and inserted into the text as a reference to something else? There's some debate. It gets more sophisticated. But the word here, actually, in silent here, is the word that means absolute quiet. Sagao. Hmm. It really means to be absolutely quiet. Don't say a thing. And what seems to be the case in the Corinthians is that because the Corinthian church was so, well, let's put it this way, it was in the midst of paganism. The Corinthian uh, city of Corinth was not real nice. Uh, it was pretty, pretty full of sin. Hmm. You know, like Amsterdam. You know, it yeah. was pretty bad. And so there was a, a real important issue in that culture of women being respectful to their husbands. And because in that culture, whether people like it or not, uh, a woman could be divorced for letting her hair down in public, at least in, the, in Israel. There were certain cultural norms that were very, very important. And in that culture where, unfortunately, women were considered to be a little bit more than property uh, in a lot of the, the Greek cultures um, and stuff, but at any rate... The idea of them being quiet was an issue and a showing of respect to their husbands and not usurping the position of authority in the church structure, but that mm. they were not to do that. And that's, that seems to be the context of what's going on. And then Paul was being even more uh, strict 
demonstrating, actually the text demonstrates the need for women not to be in authority because they're not to do that. And that seems to be what's going on. There is a lot of debate about these these uh, three verses, though. Hmm. But, but conservative scholars, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I got you. But but uh, so it sounds kind of like what you're saying is that uh, you know even if we even if we look at this as a as a cultural contextual thing, it's actually more strict um, in this one place than it is in the First Timothy two passage, which is which is of a universal application because it's based on the created order. So this doesn't this actually doesn't free us from. Uh, free us to, to have women in leadership. It actually makes it more strict for this one particular congregation. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's look at one last argument because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, critics of our position often point to a number of godly women in Scripture as evidence that women can be an authority in the church. And of course, I'm not going to worry about Old Testament prof- prophetesses and women in the, uh, that, that they would point to because that's you know uh, in a different context. But women in the New Testament who prophesy and evangelize. Um, well, we've actually looked at those as well, but so we're talking about authority, and there are a few specific women in the New Testament um, about whom the author seems to say something more. Paul calls Phoebe a deacon of a church in Romans 16.1. In verse 3 of that passage, Paul seems to elevate Priscilla to a level equal to himself by calling her his fellow worker or colleague, and then perhaps most challenging to our position. In verse 7, Paul, and you, you mentioned this earlier, says a person named Junia, a feminine name, is outstanding among the apostles. So, Aren't deacon and apostle titles of the very kind of authority we've been talking about, and thus isn't our position proved wrong? Well, let's take a one of those at a time. Okay. Uh, Junia, for example, Romans sixteen seven. Um, there are different kinds of apostles, and people don't know that. There are, Jesus is even called an apostle himself. Hmm. Uh, for, it's used in reference to the, uh, the disciples. Okay, it's used. Um, you know, the twelve apostles later on. Barnabas is called an apostle, but he didn't write scripture. There are apostles who could write scripture, and there, and there wasn't. Um, and then there's, you know, what apostle means is sent one. Mm. So someone could be a fellow sent one for the gospel, and that would be the word apostello, to send. And so we take that word, apostello, send, I mean sent, you know, he was, he's a sent one, he's an apostle. That's what you would do by translating it. And there were also false apostles. So, we and also there's the issue of qualification of what it means to be a real apostle because, uh, basically, a, a true apostle had to see the, the resurrection of Christ, yeah. at least in the authoritative inner circle. So, when Junia is called an apostle in that sense, well, what kind of an apostle is it? And I'm not just trying to cloud the issue, but it's a real serious issue we have to raise, and. Um, we have to look at it in context. And let's say she was an apostle. Let's say she was an apostle in the sense that she was there before and after Christ's resurrection. Then, well, obviously, if she were a woman who was in that position, let's say she had followed Christ and seen him risen, let's say. That, that's a special thing. A special thing. Hmm. You know, for a woman as well, not even for a woman. But, I mean, it would be a special thing for anybody. If I knew a woman like that, and back in that context, I'd be sitting at her. What did he else did he say? What, what what did you see? Because it's a rare opportunity to meet someone who knew or saw the Messiah, God in flesh, before and after. Mm. And so it doesn't mean she's an elder of a church. It doesn't right. mean she's in a teaching authority position in the church. Right. You see, differentiation there. Plus, I'm looking at my website. 
The church father Chrysostom, who died in A.D. 407, referred to this person, Junia, as a woman in homily on Romans 13, uh, 1. But the church father Origen, who died about 200 years earlier, referred to Junia as a man. Hmm. Early church historian Epiphanius Epiphanius, uh, very clearly uses a a masculine pronoun of Junius and seems to have specific information about him when he says that Junius, of whom Paul makes mention, became bishop of Epimia of Syria Hmm. and uh, talks about him being a male. So, at best, Junia is debated on whether it really is a female. Right. And I'm not I just cloud the issue, but these are just the facts. And the people who knew were very close to the time. And I mean, that seems to be some of the case there. So sure. there's that one. So, so even well, I'll, I'll bring that up in a second. But so you're saying that even if we do accept that Junia is a female, um, there's a difference between the office of apostle that carries with it authority and the simple meaning of the apost of, of the word apostol apostolos, meaning sent one. In which case, authority isn't uh, isn't communicated by that word. Right. Yeah. Well, the other one, so the other one was uh, Romans 16.1, uh, Phoebe, who's called a deacon of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's easy. Uh, deacon, you know, women are, can be deacons. It depends on how you define the office of deacon, because deacon can be um, used in an authoritative sense or not an authoritative sense. It means servant. And uh, I, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but I think Jesus is also called a servant. And the word is diakonos. And you can have different people be deacons. Mm. The issue is, if a deacon in an office is defined as an authoritative position, then a woman not is not to be in that at all. Uh, if it's a deacon as a helper, as a servant in that sense, I don't mean servant in a derogatory manner at all. But uh, this, you know, because men should, should serve as well. And so they can be deacons in that sense. A lot of times what happens in churches today, you know, go to the deacon for that special need. And it's uh, usually it's someone who can dish out money and services to help those who are in need. Hmm. And that's generally what it is. And I, be careful. Personally, this is my opinion on this, uh, even though I think we should stick with the male deacons only. But I think it's possible to permit a woman to be in the diaconate if that position is defined as not being in, of any authority over men in a, any teaching context at all in the church. And uh, that would be the, the most liberal I would go on that. I, I understand. And, you know, the NASB doesn't render that deacon there. It renders it servant. And, and you mentioned that as a definition. And just in case anybody doubts that that's a legitimate definition of the word, in Matthew 22, verse 13, Jesus is uh, giving a parable. And he says, Then the king said to the servants, diakonos, bind him hand and foot and throw him mm-hmm. into the outer darkness. So, so even Jesus himself uses the word to mean servant rather than deacon as a, as a church office. And so there's no, contextually, there's no reason to assume that there's an office being spoken of here in right. Romans 16. Yeah. But when we go to the pastoral epistles, for example, we see what deacon has said. First Timothy 3.8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's First Timothy 3.12, uh, deacons be the husbands of one wife, literally again, a man of one woman. Right. And so, yeah, well, and, and it's funny that you bring that up, I, because in verse 8 of that passage, it says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. And in case anybody thinks that they're, that, that's uh, neutral gender language, where they're just using man to refer to um, people, uh, in verse 
11, he says, women must likewise be dignified. And he doesn't right. refer to deacons there. So it does seem that this right. is very specifically saying deacons should be men. So, yeah. And if I remember correctly, the Greek is actually, you have a neuter form of things. The neuter is used. And the reason we know it's male in the neuter rendering, which is often done in Greek, is because just what you said, later on it refers to the females. Yeah. And so the juxtaposition, which was a very Jewish, very early Christian thing because they're Jews, um, to juxtapose positions as compare and contrast. Uh, uh, Romans 4, 1 through 5 does that in the issue of faith and works but uh, for justification. But anyway, go ahead. Mm. Well, that's good. That's that's all the challenges I had prepared, and I think that we've pretty that much... That was it? Yeah, that's it. Um, I thought you were going to come up with some tough stuff. I, I never said that their arguments were tough. I just said I was oh. going to try to faithfully represent them. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, let's, let's begin to wrap things up. We, we touched on this earlier, but I'm just wanting uh, for you to maybe add to it a little bit or whatever. Why, why does this issue really matter? So what if a talented, gifted woman so-called pastors a congregation? I mean, even if we're right, does it really make a difference? Are, are we making a mountain out of a molehill on this issue? Wait a minute. I'm reminded of something the Scripture says. It's not that big a deal because we're not under the law anymore. We're not obligated to follow that law. I don't know if we, it's okay if we... Should we tell people not to lie? Hmm. I mean, the Bible says don't lie. It doesn't say if you lie, you're not going to be a Christian. And, you know, it's, it is Old Testament a lot. Of course, it's reiterated, you know, you shouldn't lie. But I guess it's okay to compromise on that one as well. Hmm. Because hey, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't really relate to a salvation issue. If you lie, a lot of Christians lie anyway. In fact, a lot of Christians use the Lord's name in vain all the time. Oh, my, and they'll say it. Using the Lord's name in vain. Hmm. They're sinning. But hey, don't worry about it. Even though the scriptures speak against it, that's okay. See, this is the same kind of an attitude. As soon as you give an inch, you're going to lose a mile. Heresy is like a pressure cooker. It's always finding a way in. And as soon as anybody lets that opening up, it's going to come in. And we will, what we will find more and more is that because men aren't doing their job, women are going to start stepping up and doing that. In order to do that, you've got to compromise on these verses and other related theological issues. It opens the door to further heresy. Yeah. Now that I did my extensive research on this topic a few years ago, I developed a chart. You can go check it out on the CARM.org website. And in it, I found out, if I remember correctly, this roughly the statistics are. So I went through and found denominations. What year did they officially atop, adopt? I went to their websites, did their research. It took me days and days of reading. Okay, what year did they adopt women pastors and elders? Okay. What followed? And not always, but the great majority of them, I think 75 or 85, 80%, something like that, adopted women pastors within a generation or two, within 30, 40 years, that kind of a thing, 50 years sometimes. Well, the, the scriptures, yeah, they're mostly inspired. <laughs> Homosexuality, well, yeah, it's an alternative lifestyle. Let's get along, you know, let's all get along with each other. Yeah. That's kind of a thing. See, people don't think that, uh, well, it, it, we're just trying to help it, it get, get along. Well, you know what I say about that? Let's just get along. I say, oh, so let me get this straight. You want to get along with the pagans. You want to get along with the unbelievers. You want to get along with the, the social norms and disregard God's word. Who are you to disregard God's clear teaching of what he says in order to just simply get along? That is what the devil wants. Yeah. He wants the Christian church to compromise. He wants that Christian church to say, let's just not really believe what God's word says, and let's just get along. That's exactly 
what he wants in the Christian church in order to get more error into that church, ultimately to get to the point of denying the truth of the gospel message, and then also to bring the Christian church into a place of interfighting so yeah. that we are more ineffective. And while the enemy can be busy uniting the cults under the respective groups, like the one head inside of Mormonism or in Jehovah's Witnesses or in Catholicism, because Catholicism is apostate, another topic, another show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the enemy wants them unified, but he wants the Christian church destroyed. He wants it disunified. This will be just yet another issue used to bring division in the body of Christ and to bring men to the position of not being men and having the spiritual guts to stand up and do what has to be done. And that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, I agree. Well, is there any sort of, I mean, this, that might have been it, but I mean, is there any sort of parting message that maybe you'd like to leave us with? What, what, what most would you like us to take away from this discussion today? And, and perhaps you could speak to both ends of the spectrum, those who have an unbiblically low view of women, as well as those who think that women can and should serve in all the same roles men do. Well, I'd say to both groups, repent and believe the word of God. Women are to be highly respected and revered, and they're not chattel. They're not commodities. They're not to be looked down upon in any way. We men are physically stronger, and we are to administer our strength with responsibility to protect, to serve, to love, to forgive. That's what we're to do with our women, and our women will follow us if we do that. They're supposed to follow us anyway, but they'll follow us even all the more if they do that. And men... You've got to get off your spiritual butts. You've got to stop being mamby-pamby weak. And this is a problem because in the church, you watch TV. I mean, men are, are maligned as masculine. Oh, you're masculine. You're not a real man. You know, this attack on masculinity. Well, the Bible differentiates between male and female in the roles. And I'm not saying we need a hammer and a club and we drag our wives around by the hair. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> We're to love our wives as Christ has loved us, which means it's impossible for us, but we need to depend on him. And we're to do that and to elevate women. I like the idea of standing up when a woman walks into the room. Mm. I like that idea of opening doors up for women, not because they're weak, not because they're inferior. They're bearers of the Messiah, yeah. my deliverer. What a privilege that is. And, but it is not their position their God-given position, to be the authority structure in the church or the home. That's the job of the male, whether the male likes it or not. And he needs to stand up and accept the responsibility of his gender-given roles, the same as the woman needs to do that with hers. And we both need to submit our hearts and our minds and our wills to the Word of God. Let it be the anchor of truth. And if you're anchored in the truth of God's Word, you won't drift into the seas of heresy. Mm. Oh, man, I agree. Well, thanks for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. It's been helpful, and I've enjoyed it. Where can my listeners go to find CARM and the resources it offers, and how can they tune into Faith and Reason? Well, if you just go to the CARM.org website, that's C-A-R-M dot O-R-G, or just type in my name in Google, Matt Slick. You can also go to MattSlick.com, uh, but if you type in my name in Google, just don't believe most of what you say. I mean, what you see up there, how people misrepresent me and say false things. That's what happens. But karm.org, C-A-R-N.org, and the radio link is on the right-hand side. Um, and you can see when, when I'm on and people listen over the internet a great deal and podcast gets downloaded thousands of times, and uh, I mean 40,000 times a month or something like that. I don't know. It's, and uh, that'd be it. And I'd say, hey, call me up. You know, we'll talk. And uh, it'd be fun.
Yeah, you won't treat him too terribly harshly. <laughs> I treated you nicely. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you joining me. Hey, no problem, Chris, man. God bless. Thanks for having me on. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the interview and got something out of it. And if you don't agree with Matt and me, I would encourage you to listen again and do some research into Paul's writings about men in the position of authority. I think you'll find that the idea that this was specific to a certain time and culture just can't be found in the text. And that quite the contrary, the teaching is for all times and cultures. Now, if you have any questions or criticisms, contact me at theapologetics at hotmail.com and maybe we can discuss over email or I can respond in an upcoming episode. Either way, I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Theapologetics podcast, whatever the topic turns out to be. Until then. Until then.